We continue to navigate a unique time as a world, as a nation, even as a, as a church community. Throughout the world, the novel coronavirus continues to impact everything from individual decisions on how time is spent to entire economies. There are certain flashpoints throughout each generation that, that have a considerable effect on the world we live in. And there's no doubt that this is one of them. Like 9-11 or the assassinations of the 1960s or the two world wars, our world looks different than it did just a few months ago. Now amidst this global pandemic and the associated economic fallout, our country's been in turmoil surrounding the murder of George Floyd and just the, the history of racial injustice uh, that are, are checkers our country's past. Various responses have flooded our screens and our streets, some good and some bad as our nation and community tries to grapple with its stained and complicated history. As all this is going on in the world around us, we as a community face a unique season as we are effectively homeless as a church. We are vagabonds. The school that we've gathered in over the last three years is no longer available to us for the time being, and it's impossible to say when that will be available. So we are sojourners looking to the Lord to guide our steps as we plan for the future. What a time to be alive. There are many things you might be feeling. Depending on the day, you might be feeling discouragement or confusion or anger or sadness or pain or weariness or sometimes maybe just kind of a mixture of all of these things. Or perhaps you look around and you, you wonder what all the fuss is about. Things seem to be just fine for you in your neighborhood or in your home. Sure, it's been different, but nothing significantly so. You're just happy to be out of the house this morning. Well, whichever group you identify with this morning, the discouraged or, or the happy-go-lucky, I have an exhortation for you from Psalm 113. And this is the exhortation. Praise the Lord. Seriously, praise the Lord. I don't say this to be trite. I mean it sincerely. Praise the Lord. Wherever you are and in whatever you face, this is what God would have you do. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jim. That's so much better. It's amazing when the professionals do these things. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Praise the Lord. Whether your mic sounds great or it sounds terrible, praise the Lord. Why? Because he alone is worthy to be praised. He alone is mighty in the truest sense. And he alone is merciful in the most real way. In the midst of circumstances that we just can't seem to make sense of, that we don't understand, that perplex and confuse us and make us feel like the world around us is spiraling out of control, there's one thing we need more than any other. It's not somebody else's opinion. It's to look to the true and living God and respond by praising him. Oftentimes I'll say something, I said something similar this morning, when we start our corporate gatherings, I'll say something like, we come together to be reoriented to reality. What I mean by that is that, that we come, we gather together to be reminded of the one truth that brings definition and perspective to everything else. There's only one ultimate reality. There's only one truth definer, and that is God. And everything else is, is derivative of him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when I'm confused and perplexed, when I'm worn out and discouraged, when I'm heartbroken or fearful, what I need more than anything else is to look to God. 
Because when I see God for who he is, as the one who stands as the divine maker, who speaks all things into existence, as the one who reigns over all things, exercising providence over every creature and every action, as the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together, when I look to him, then my perspective on and response to all that goes on around me is completely different. And it begins and ends exactly where Psalm 113 begins and ends. Praise the Lord. So you follow along with me as I read from the Word of God, His inerrant, infallible, inspired Word. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. You pray with me again. Father, thank you for your word that you speak to us, where you reveal who you are and you reveal your character. You reveal your name to us. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word this morning. Conform our hearts to what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at this passage together in, in three sections. Uh, the first section is this. The heading I'm giving it is, Praise the Name of the Lord. Verses 1 through 3. Psalm 113 resonates with this one command, one call, one theme. It opens and ends this chapter. Praise the Lord. Praising the Lord should be our chief occupation. Whether we are eating or drinking or playing or working or walking or driving or laughing or crying, our call is to praise the Lord. This is kind of crazy with the wind. There is nothing more worthwhile that we could ever give ourselves to. It's in living for the glory of God that we actually discover true freedom and lasting joy. As image bearers of God, this is when we are most human, when we praise the Lord. So in verse 1, the psalm calls this specific group of people to this praise. You see right there in the second phrase, praise, O servants of the Lord. And these servants that it's speaking to, they're, they're God's covenant people. As those chosen and redeemed by God, that's who we are. We are his servants. We're not slaves to this world or the devil or our own fleshly desires or sin, but we are servants of the living God. So what's our job? What do we do? How do we serve him? We praise the Lord. Then the psalmist, he specifically calls these servants to praise the name of the Lord. Praise those servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This is a funny way to speak. If you actually stop and think about it, we don't really speak this way. Wouldn't it be better just to praise the Lord rather than praise his name? When we read a phrase like, praise the name or blessed be the name of the Lord, which are all over the Psalms in particular, what the name represents is who God has revealed himself to be. The name of the Lord speaks of who he is in his entirety and in his glory. This name that he gives himself, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, highlights his glory and goodness, his holiness and justice, his wisdom and power, his faithfulness and love. It's his name that provides the basis 
for our praise. And notice too that it's that it's his name. The name that God has given himself, not the one that we give to him. We don't we don't get to give him a new name or decide for ourselves what name to give him. We don't decide his nature as if we could have a God that's all love without any judgment. No, that would be to worship a false God. We must praise his name. There is no name like the name of the Lord. His name is beautiful in its holiness. It is generous in its mercy. It's patient in its love. It is abundant in its grace. It's reliable in its promises. His name represents his commitment and faithfulness to his people. And our praise represents our commitment and faithfulness to him. But our own pride gets in the way. It stands in opposition to this call to praise his name. Because in pride, we often think of ourselves as great. And we spend our time trying to think, trying to convince other people that we're as great as we think we are. We want our own name to be celebrated, not the name of God. And you know, we're a great place to see this, evidence of this. Have you looked at any social media recently? A lot of what's on there is people trying to make their own name great. We post or comment with the hope that someone somewhere might click that little heart and that acts as some validation to us that kind of makes our name great. This is the way, this is what many people live for. But it's God's place and right for his name to be praised everywhere and always. So great is this name that it should be praised at all times and in all places. So in verses 2 and 3 we read this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So from this time forth and forevermore, we are to praise God today and every day. Today and forever. I was talking to one father right beforehand, and he was talking. He said they read Psalm 113 this morning, and uh, they were talking about what might it mean to praise the Lord always, from the rising of the sun to its setting. And it's like, well, we pray before meals, great. And it's like, okay, you need to go clean up now. And kids are like, no, I don't want... This is opportunity. This is part of what it means to praise the Lord all the time, always. Our call to praise the Lord is not just for Sunday mornings when we gather together. It's not just when you're reading your Bible or you're listening to your favorite song or in your favorite place or eating your favorite meal. It's for now and forever. When you are happy, praise the Lord. When you are sad and discouraged, praise the Lord. When you are tired, praise the Lord. When you are excited, praise the Lord. In all times, praise the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. This phrase, from the rising of the sun to its setting, it doesn't speak as much to time as we might think it does. It speaks more to place. It's not saying praise him when the sun comes up and then when the sun goes down, don't worry about praising him anymore. It can't be saying that because the phrase before just said praise him from now and forevermore. Instead, this phrase, it speaks to the location of his praise. And do you know where that location is? Everywhere. Everywhere that the sun rises and sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. From one end of the earth to the other, praise the name of the Lord. And this is just what God has been at work doing as he saves people for his glory from every tribe and nation, from every people and place. When we praise the Lord, we are not worshiping in isolation but rather join this beautiful and diverse choir that reaches every place and extends across all time. When we praise, we we join that choir, that chorus of praise. 
But even all of this praise falls infinitely short of the praise fitting our infinite God. All this praise falls infinitely short of the praise fitting our infinite God. So next, the psalm turns to praising God for his greatness. That's our second heading, praising God for his greatness. And we see this in verses 4 to 6. The psalmist knows that whatever we currently think about God, right now, whatever you have in your mind about God, falls incredibly short of reality. That's kind of crazy. Whatever we think about God falls short of reality. So the psalmist describes God in a way that brings us a few steps closer to understanding who he is. It's kind of like uh, if you, if let's say me and my wife are talking to somebody and I'm telling them about the best meal that we had last week when we went out to a restaurant, which we didn't do last week, but hypothetically speaking, we go out to a restaurant and I'm saying it was just, it was so good. And I tell Christine, tell them about it. And she says, yeah, it was pretty good. And I'm sitting there thinking like, pretty good. Like that's all you have. And so then I go into uh, hyperbolic speech. And so I'm using like the biggest words that I can think of to describe how good and amazing and life-changing this meal was. That's kind of what the psalmist is doing, where it's like, you think you think God is great, but he is so much greater, except for it's not hyperbole. When he does it, he's, he's still understating who God is in his greatness. We don't have categories for the greatness of God. Look at verse 4. He says, The Lord is high above all nations. All nations speaks to the power and accomplishments of humanity. All that we as a people have ever accomplished, all that we can do from the Great Wall of China to walking on the moon, from the rule and reign of the Egyptians and the Romans to the superpowers of the modern world, the Lord is high above all nations. He is high above, high above all nations. So he has to stoop down just to see them. I love that little verse in in Genesis 11. And this is that infamous point in human history where all the people come together to build a monument to their significance, to their greatness. It's called the Tower of Babel. They come together to build this tower that that reaches to the heavens. And as they build, we read this. I think it's verse 4 or 5, somewhere in there. And the Lord came down. They're building this great tower. And the Lord came down. To see the city and tower which the children of man had built. All the height humanity could muster. And God still has to come down and see it. So great is his glory. Isaiah records that the nations are like a drop from a bucket. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. It's Isaiah 40.15. Now have you seen recently how big a drop from a bucket is? And I've got a little science experiment for you to do later. Go get a bucket and put one drop of water in it. Then go dump it on someone and see how wet they get. Or I've got another idea. If you have a scale, this is for the parents. The last one's for the kids, this one's for the parents. If you have a scale and you weigh yourself at any point in your life, tomorrow morning, weigh yourself and record the weight. Then wipe that scale clean. Wipe all the dust off of it. And then weigh yourself again to see how much weight you lost. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. For all of our seeming greatness and ingenuity and accomplishments, the Lord is still high above all nations. But that's not all we got here. His glory is above the heavens. Now, did anybody get to see the, uh, the SpaceX launch a few weeks ago? 
Anybody see that? It was pretty cool. It was pretty amazing, pretty spectacular. It was an incredible display of, of human ingenuity and collaboration as these two astronauts were launched out of our atmosphere and into space. It took thousands of people working together over several years to come up with the plan and, and the execution to accomplish this. Now, one thing about it that was particularly mind-blowing was, was the force that needs to be generated to get them up and into orbit, to get them through the clouds and the stratosphere and into the thermosphere is where the International Space Station is. But get this, where the astronauts went can barely be considered reaching the heavens. Barely. I don't even think it can be. The International Space Station is around 250 miles from the Earth's surface. Now that's about the same distance as here to Buffalo, New York, or Raleigh, North Carolina. Now it's pretty impressive to get up that high, but not all that much when you consider the following. The moon is almost 100 times further than that at around 240,000 miles from the Earth. You'd have to go all the way around the Earth almost 10 times to go the distance you would need to go to get to the moon. Pretty crazy. But this is nothing compared to how far away the sun is from us. So again, the moon, 240,000 miles away, 100 times further than the International Space Station. The sun is about 93 million miles away from the Earth. Now at this point, with numbers like this, it, like, it doesn't really mean much of anything. I heard, read somebody one time say, we can't handle this bigitude. Like, we, we just got nothing for it. 93 million miles, what does that mean? Well, let's break it down a little bit. I want you to look at your Bible and find a period. A period, a little dot. You see that little dot? Let's pretend that dot is Earth. All right? On that dot lives every plant and animal that exists. Right now, on that dot lives seven and a half billion people. All right, on that dot. Everybody from LeBron James and Bill Gates to you and me lives on that dot. All right, now I need all the kids that are 10 and under, I need your help. I need you to make a fist. Make a fist and hold it up in the air. All right, so everybody can see. All the kids 10 and under. I'm waiting for my daughter to make her fist and put it, there you go. All right, now if you're about 20 feet away from one of these kids, that's how far from that period to that fist, that's how far the sun is. If the period on that page is the earth and the fist is the sun, that's the size of the sun and that's the distance, 20 feet. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it would take a lot of periods lined up to get the 20 feet to that fist and it would take a lot of periods to make up the size of that fist but the Lord's glory is above the heavens and we haven't even started talking about stars I mean the sun is a star but like stars beyond the sun and all I'm going to say here is that if the earth were that period and the sun a child's fist 20 feet away do you know where the nearest star would be the closest star, any guesses? Like maybe like to the house or maybe like, maybe to the mountain, South Mountain down there? No, not even close. Miami, Florida is where the closest star would be. Miami, Florida, that's crazy. That's the closest star. And there are billions of stars in the Milky Way, star galaxy. And you know how many galaxies there are? There are billions of galaxies. And the Lord is above the heavens. 
who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Who is like the Lord our God? No one, no one is like this God. No one can be compared to him or with him for even a moment. God is so great that his greatness is unsearchable. He is so exalted, so high that he has to bend down to see the stars. He has to get down low to see what the angels do. There is no one like our God. But look what the psalmist does next. So he's asked this question, who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Next, he praises God for his mercy. This is our third section. Verses 7 to 9. This high and holy and infinite and boundless and incomprehensible God, this God is our God. And he doesn't stay transcendent and detached and out of reach. But he condescends to us. So the psalm declares in verse 7, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, what kind of God who is above the heavens would reach down into the ash heap? This ash heap is literally the dung hill. It's where they would put all the cow poop to be clear. We've got cows in the back. That's where it would all go. And they would burn it for fuel. That's the ash heap. It's a place of deprivation, of despair. It reeks beyond belief. There is nothing about this place that is desirable or pleasant. And this is where we dwell in our sinful humanity. We are those who are lost in darkness. We are dead in sin. We are sitting in the dust, despairing on the dunghill. But God, in his great mercy, as the one who is high and lifted up, He lifts us up from our saddest state. But he doesn't just raise us up from the dunghill to put us on the dirt road. No, look at verse 8. It says, he lifts them up to make them sit with princes, the princes of his people. You see, God is a God who doesn't do things partially or halfway. When he lifts the poor, he makes them rich. When he meets the needy, he completely satisfies souls. Verses 7 and 8 are a quotation of the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. If you remember who Hannah was, Hannah was barren. She was unable to have children, and she was despairing and discouraged. But the Lord saw fit to give her a son. That son was Samuel. And the Lord met her in her lack and lifted her up. And the psalmist writes, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Now, to be barren at that time, was, it was the ultimate sign of loss and depravity for a woman. It was the most despairing place to be, but God is a God who delivers. And when he delivers, he delivers to the utmost. In Hannah's story and in the psalm, we see that whatever discouragement you face, whatever questions plague you, whatever pain you have, the hope and healing and answers that are found in God will give you joy and life and peace. Isaiah says this way in Isaiah 57 verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. 
I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, the God who is majestic in holiness, whose glory is above the heavens, who is awesome in his glorious deeds, is the one who condescends to us, who comes to us and cares for us and welcomes us. More than this, because he is majestic in his holiness, because he is awesome in power, doing wonders, when he comes, he has the power to save. He has the power to deliver. Is this not what we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of Christ. Charles Spurgeon writes this, he says, We have a God who is high above all gods, and yet who is our Father, knowing what we need before we ask him. He's our shepherd who supplies our needs. He's our guardian who counts the hairs of our heads, our tender and considerate friend who sympathizes in all our griefs. Truly, the name of our condescending God should be praised wherever it is known. Brothers and sisters, as we go into our week, let us go praising the Lord, trusting in his name, looking to his greatness, resting in his mercy. Our God is a God who is merciful and mighty. He is majestic and compassionate. He is transcendent and imminent. He is holy and wholly worthy of our praise. So we praise the Lord. Isaac Watts said it this way. He said, give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. Wonders of grace to God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Amen. This psalm, Psalm 113, is known as a Hallel psalm, which means it is uh, a psalm, one of the psalms that's, that's recited at Passover. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah, it's from where we get our word hallelujah, meaning praise the Lord, praise God. And when the psalm would be read, it's the first psalm that's read in preparation for Passover, uh, it would have been one of the last psalms that, that Jesus read. He would have read it at the, at the Last Supper. And uh, when it would be read, typically, it would be read responsively. And so the, the person leading would read a line, and then the people would respond, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. So I want us to, to end with that. I want us to, I'm going to read through Psalm 113, and at each pause, respond by saying, praise the Lord. Got that? So when I say praise the Lord, what do you say? There you go. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, Lord. Praise O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home 
making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word, which speaks of your majesty and your glory and speaks of your mercy and condescension to us. Thank you for the revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for the grace that pours forth from him, that gives us life. Thank you for his words in Matthew 11, which bids us to come. Come, those who are heavy laden, and he will give rest to us, because he is gentle and lowly of heart. So, Lord, may we each come to you this week as we go through our days. May we come to you and find mercy in our time of need. May we find grace in our lack. And may we find hope in every situation. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.